0: Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. The Better Packaging Company does just what you think it should. It makes plastic packaging that's compostable in your own backyard. Starting with replacing those awful one-use plastic courier bags, the company now offers alternatives to plastic gloves, gift wrap, sticky labels, and bags of all sorts of shapes and sizes. And it's exporting its plant-based products to Australia, China, and the USA. But what does compostable mean? Is it the same as biodegradable? What happens if you don't have a compost bin? And does plant-based plastic just replace one set of problems with another? I'm joined by co-founder of the Better Packaging Company, Kate Bezar, a former magazine publisher who once defied my advice to not go into publishing and created her own award-winning magazine. So, booyah to me. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Kate, to This Climate Business.
1: Thanks, Vincent. It's great to be here.
0: That magazine did go on to be quite successful. What was it?
1: Uh, it was called Dumbo Feather and, yeah, that was 15 years ago that I started um, and it is actually still going strong, not not with me at the helm anymore, but uh, some fantastic publishers based out of Melbourne.
0: No, that's fan- that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, well done on not listening to my advice. I think yeah. I remember <laughs> at the time I was running my own publishing company and thinking, why on earth did I do this? And I just oh. – the thought of someone else going into the same level of mm-hmm. hell. Um, but there you go. Well done.
1: Oh, no, look, I um, – I don't think anyone actually told me to do it. Uh and I did ask a lot of people hoping to find someone who had some differing advice. And yet yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah. did it anyway. Well, uh, but, of- you know, I know I know where you are coming from because if someone came to me today and asked should I start a magazine, I certainly don't think I'd, I'd recommend it.
0: I mean, it's good. so much business is like that, isn't it? If you knew what it was like it before. Is afterwards uh, you wouldn't do it oh sorry if you knew it was like before you wouldn't do it anyway let's talk about um, let's talk about plastic bags just tell us what is the difference between compostable and biodegradable I mean that's a technical thing but it's quite important right
1: it is biodegradable can is it's sort of the umbrella almost parent term and then compostable is a subset within that and then home compostable is something different again so biodegradable has no time frame associated with it so it's just something that will break down until it's you know sort of base particles but that could take a very very long, very long time.
0: I mean, everything's biodegradable eventually, isn't it?
1: Eventually, I mean, there are some questions around whether or not plastic does ever completely degrade, or if it just sort of becomes micro microplastics. Mm. Uh, but compostable and home compostable, to to carry a certification of compostability, something has to break down into uh, its base elements within a certain time frame, and for the certifications that we carry, that's, um, that's 180 days. Under it's amazing.
0: the conditions, yeah. So, and what kind of conditions are they, Kate?
1: So it's a typical, for, for something that's certified home compostable, that's yeah. the conditions that you'll find in a home compost. And off the top of my head, I think it's between 15 and 25 degrees for the compost, and there mm-hmm. has to be um, moisture and a certain amount of oxygen as well. As, as a, you know, how your compost heats up a bit—that's what actually yeah, yeah. started.
0: So, so you set yourself probably the highest standard to reach for degradable, biodegradable plastic. Why, why did you do that? You know, to tell us about the origins of the company.
1: To be honest, that was the appeal. So with the origin yeah. So if I, I step back a bit, so uh, Bex and I had previously worked together in a company, a tech startup that was essentially powering e-commerce transactions. And so we saw literally the, the rise of e-commerce and you know, the sheer volume of, of transactions that were happening online. And at one point, Beck said, Look, there's got to be a better way to be sending all these to people rather than you know, a fairly heavy-duty, single-use PE satchel, bubble wrap, those heaviest puffy V things that go around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we set out to find a, a more sustainable solution um, you know, and at the time that actually seemed like it might be quite a simple thing, but what we <laughs> realised was... Sounds
0: like that, famous last words, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, you can't just throw a solution. A solution isn't a solution unless there are the systems to accommodate it and to to, to process it, essentially, yeah. you know, at the end of life. Uh, and we actually thought we had a fantastic solution. But, and then we went to, we actually went out to Visi, who are the, the major recyclers in in Auckland, to see how it would actually get processed through their plant and although technically it's 100% recyclable because it's neither this isn't the product we have now it's a different one Um, but because it's neither plastic nor paper and yet kind of looks like both in a way it would just Mm -hmm. end up being siphoned off into landfill so that was extremely depressing at the time but quite a it was a real turning point for us and it was like you know what the systems just are not there to process anything really that is, is soft, what we call soft plastics or film yes. based. And so then we started looking, and you know, people had always said to us, what about a compostable solution? And generally when they say compostable, it means something that's industrially compostable. So your compostable coffee cup actually needs the conditions of an industrial commercial composting facility to break down. Really high heat yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. kind of super composting essentially. Uh, and then we discovered this material that until that point it had only really been used to make supermarket shopping bags, um, but that was home compostable. And the appeal to us of something that people could dispose of responsibly themselves in their own backyards, uh, and that fundamentally was non-toxic and, and, and biodegradable, um, mm-hmm. was immediate. And we thought, you know, given the state of recycling systems in in New Zealand and Australia, which is where we knew that we initially wanted to target, uh, that seemed like a a great,
0: great solution. So you were working at this uh, e-commerce company, but what what gave Mm -hmm. you the confidence to kind of jump the shark and start your own business in packaging? Quite a leap, you know, from from e-commerce and publishing into packaging.
1: Yeah, so... I mean, I think I've done it before, so there's that. And I, I think when you start, you take small steps. As a, you know, it, it, we didn't, you know, immediately, you know, take on a lease like this and hire ten people and you know start shipping you, contain loads of product around the world. We started with one small order. Well, actually it felt like a big order at the time, but it it was relatively small, and it's you know we sold out in two weeks so we doubled it that sold out in two weeks and you know we've literally been running ever since so yeah and and it was just Bex and I and we knew that you know we'd worked together before and we have really um, complementary skill sets but really strongly aligned values and we just knew that this was something that um, we were both passionate about and between us we could make a business out of if we if it turned out to be a business.
0: Who were the first people that bought the product? You, you, your first product was, was the black bags, right? The courier bags with yeah. um, I'm a dirt bag on it.
1: Yeah. So, funny enough, that's what we thought our business model was going to be was um, producing packaging for the likes of um, uh, New Zealand Post, Courier Post, um, you know, Bex had a lot of contacts with courier companies in Australia, Uh, but funnily enough, they all said to us, hey, look, this is totally unproven, you know, we're not going to risk, you know, shifting to this kind of packaging. So we thought, and we also, and yet we had a lot of interest from a lot of small companies Mm. who couldn't afford the minimums because the minimums to, you know, do a production run are quite high. So we thought, well, let's just do our own branded range. And... See how that goes, and that was the, that first order that we did. Uh, we made them matte black. Uh, we, you know, made some quirky um, comms on them. Uh, you know, we called them "I'm a real dirt bag," and and made, uh, you know, made it really, really obvious that they were different to the standard plastic bag because That's very important, and really strong instructions as to what to do with them at the end of yeah. life
0: no Yeah, great. To um, yeah. So. And what is the product, Kate? How does it, can you go into some sort of technical, you know, to blind us with the science of what this is?
1: <laughs> I, mean, I, I do have a chemistry degree. So and what's bizarre is that I actually haven't used it since university. But, um, <laughs> so it's essentially, it's partly plant-based. It's not 100% plant-based. Um, and the plant component comes from cornstarch, which is literally the stuff that is in your, you know, cupboard that you might thicken gravy with. Uh, another component called PLA, which is also derived from corn, and that's kind of what gives it some strength and rigidity. And then there's another thing in there which is called PBAT, and that is petroleum derived. Um, and it's interesting actually when they um, crack petroleum, it's sort of a byproduct of that process, and it's it's interesting you can you can engineer petroleum to become plastic or tyres or something else that will last a long, long time. Or you can engineer it to break down really quickly. And it's actually this component that breaks down the quickest. Um, But that's the piece that gives the bag that kind of flex. Uh, And the combination of those three, you know, makes a really tough, durable, waterproof bag. Um, There's, you know... uh, it's not quite as easy as it sounds. It's taken us a long time to make sure that labels stick properly and that the seams are really strong. And, you know, as with any new technology, we have had some teething issues, but uh, it's, it's pretty incredible.
0: So this chemistry that you've um, settled on, is that a, a kind of a patentable recipe or, or is it a, a kind of off the shelf product that could come from any old lab?
1: Yeah, so those three ingredients together, uh, it's the mix of those that becomes patentable or, you know.
0: That has Protectable some in some form, form yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, and particularly uh, the mix that is suitable for what we want it to do. So as I said, you know, you can throw those three ingredients together and labels won't stick. Or you can throw those three ingredients together in a certain proportion and you won't get very strong seams. So it's the combination of those three ingredients that
0: right. uh, becomes yeah, something unique. So the geek in you must be really enjoying this, um, this whole process. And I think just for the sake of for those of us that don't know chemistry very well, why can you make plastic out of plants, out of starch? You know, what is it that is, I don't know, the base the base load or the base formula for plastic that allows it to be made from alternatives to oil?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, most of the, the fundamental building blocks of most organic matter, which petroleum is, right? So uh, petroleum is just um, organic matter, plants, trees that have been buried underground for a very long period of time. Uh, and it essentially forms a, you know, a carbon chain that has carbon and hydrogen to it in various combinations. And it's just sort of a rejigging of that that structure mm. to make mm. it into what we want it to be. And, and you yeah, totally different types of plastic as well. You know, there's soft plastics and rigid plastics and that's again just a different sort of rejigging of of that carbon chain.
0: And I know that um, Scion, for instance, make all sorts of plastic out of uh, you know the offcuts of timber, the timber industry, you know, and mm. um uh, it's, the, the issue was not the chemistry, is it? It's the it's the economics, it's the business, it's the willingness, the entrepreneurship around it. Why has it taken oh, so a long? Lot of it and yeah, yeah. 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 Why, so why has it taken so long if we've known the the chemistry and um, of oh, big, ask
1: question all the time. Like it just I, we find it incredibly almost irresponsible and infuriating that no one's done this sooner. Uh, and, that, yeah, because if someone had done this sooner, there'd be a bit more infrastructure around it too. But uh, there's all sorts of new technology happening all the time. Uh, and I think, I mean, in our case, no one had thought, someone had someone had done this before, but they'd made a fluorescent green bag, Korea Satchel, right? Mm-hmm. It was heinous and tacky and just... So I think it, it took someone to kind of go, look, let's make this a beautiful thing and let's get some cool marketing around it and put it in front of the people who are really going to get it. And um, and that's when it sort of flew and took off.
0: Hmm, amazing.
1: Um, yeah, but there's also, I mean, we... we We've called ourselves the Better Packaging Company. We're not the Compostable Packaging Company. Uh, Compostable Packaging is is where we're at right now uh, with most of our products, but we are constantly looking for what's better. Um, And doing R&D and looking, and, you know, we're ahead of all those latest developments in technology. And what's exciting now is that we've got an incredible platform to commercialize new things. You know, Mm -hmm. we've got this customer base of tens of thousands of customers. They range from small Etsy sellers right through to large multinationals. And that's cool. You know, Mm -hmm. that's enough scale to really take some of this new technology and blow it out.
0: Yep. So so in your website you talk about the existing product is, is good but not good enough. You have this sort of impatience with trying to get to better mm. and that's the nice thing mm. about the word better, isn't it? It's never yeah. best. Yeah. Um, what, what's, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. You know What's wrong with the current product and what would you like to fix about it?
1: So the key thing is something I touched on earlier. It is still partly derived from petroleum and that's a non-renewable resource. So ideally, packaging or any product would be made from something that's 100% renewable. It's not going to run out in time. Uh, and so that's that's one of the, the key issues with it, I guess. Um, the other thing is not everyone has access to a, a compost or a, a home compost. Uh, so that's something that we're also addressing. Uh, we've developed a collection network to try to, Address that. So um, we now, if you go on to um, b just the letter b collective org, uh, it's essentially an app, and it will throw up um, a number of collection sites near you where you can take your used packaging to to make sure it is composted. Um, it's it's kind of a circular model in the sense that it's made from plants, it's then used and reused, uh, and then it goes back into you know, make dirt to grow more plants. Um, But, you know, a more circular model would be something that can be remade into itself rather than sort of almost downcycled into into Uh
0: dirt.
1: So so there's that too.
0: Yeah. Uh, Your your solution uh, is, could it be, it's a fantastic kind of boutique story and I want to get into your overseas success in a minute, but could it be scaled? You know could you imagine this plastic being used in all packaging and yeah, in grocery it, for instance
1: Yeah look it's really it's particularly uh, attractive when when you're talking about soft plastics a lot of the soft plastics we use aren't exactly what you see then it's in grocery or food packaging and mm-hmm. where where the plastic gets contaminated with um, food you know grease Scraps left over—that's uh, where it's almost impossible to recycle, mm. and that's where a compostable solution is really attractive. Yeah, yes. look, there's it's still it, um, our packaging and the type of film it's made from breathes. Um, it's waterproof, but it does breathe slightly, so you couldn't seal chips in it or biscuits yes. at that stage. Um, so yeah. there's still a level of development that needs to happen mm. before that's before that's feasible but in terms of scalability you know we've now produced over 25 million bags uh and most of those have been in the last 12 months and we've got no production issues so it's um yeah no, it's infinitely scalable
0: mm, fantastic yeah. uh, so tell us about the overseas success because um i don't imagine you set out to create an export business or maybe you did but where are you selling and how did that start
1: and we kind of did so. We well, both of both Bex and I had a lot of contacts in Australia. That's where I started my previous business, and mm. and the e-commerce startup that we both worked in uh, had most of its customers there. And, and as I mentioned, a lot of Korea company type contacts. So I don't know. We we did always see Australia as a big market for us, and but from day dot we said, look, we're going to ship to anyone anywhere in the world who wants this. And just make it work. And what we found was that very quickly we got a couple of big Australian fashion retailers on board who would post about it on social media. And this is how we've grown in general. Uh, and their followers and similar brands saw it and jumped on it. And so it really did snowball in Australia very quickly. Um, and Australia is about 70% of our sales. New Zealand's only about 5
0: to 10%. Mm, right.
1: Europe was our fastest growing market. And we also have distributional warehousing in Europe. So... Um, yeah, New Zealand's actually just a—it's a, it's a nice little market, but it's just—it is just a small market for us really.
0: It sort of fits the um, you know the, the hopeful stereotype that people have: is New Zealand is a test market for innovation that then you can scale internationally.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we do we do testing products here uh, and also in Australia uh, before taking you, them into the world.
0: Yeah, you, you manufacture all of it here?
1: No, we manufacture very little of it in this part of the world. Uh, we manufacture in I know, four or five different countries. Mm. Uh, Australia. Because it's a recipe,
0: one. right? So it's it's a it's IP. It could, it-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a recipe, but you know we've got all sorts of products. So you know we've got labels and tape and um, and bubble wrap and pallet wrap, and it's each one of those requires a slightly different formula and a different you know different set of um, manufacturing skills, um, technology. Yeah. Mm.
0: It seems like a, a wide – when I looked through the list of products, you know, you, you've you gone – you've innovated very quickly to a broad base of um, markets and, and product a product suite, you know, that's quite mm. broad. Um, but you say you've only got 10 staff. How, how have you capitalised the business? How has mm-hmm. how, it grown? Uh, have you got um, some secret backers there that you could tell us about?
1: <laughs> no, we did, we did do an investment round. Well, it started late last year and finished early this year. Yeah. Uh, and we've got some, we've, it's just, it's um, two sets of investors uh, but who all, both came on at the same time uh, who very much share our values and uh, yeah, they're just incredibly aligned with us in terms of what we're trying to do. Uh, their mandate is waste reduction uh, and so, and they did a lot of um, investigation and research onto how best to do that with the, the investment they had available. Um, and we, we're one of a few investments they've made, um, but probably the most commercial of those investments. So it's, um, you know, it's it's felt like a great fit from day one mm. um, that we started talking to them. That's it, we did have a lot of people interested in investing. Um, and, yeah, it was just about finding... The right fit for that stage of the business. I think next time round we would be looking for something different. Um, you know, someone who, someone or a company that's going to bring a different level of either distribution or manufacturing expertise to the
0: business. Mm. What What is the potential of the business, Kate? You know, do you see yourself um, continuing, kind of broadening the product range, or is it now about taking what's there and just kind of going for volume?
1: It's, you know, if if you ask Big, she'd probably say something different. Uh, Big loves new products, um, and and I do too. But I think because I'm on the marketing side, you know, to me, new products is just a whole heap of work at the end of the chain. Um, no, so look, we've got a we've got an incredible customer base. So it's it's about selling more products to the customers we've already got as well as expanding our reach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, US has huge potential for us and we've only really just dipped our toes in there. But what we find is people will start using the courier packaging because it's a really easy uh, switch. It's um, it's very customer facing. Uh, it's a really easy message to, to give across and it's a really quick one. And then they'll start looking further up their supply chain and they'll start thinking about labels and um So courier labels, barcode labels, uh, and poly bags, which are those kind of thin, transparent bags that almost every piece of clothing gets Mm. uh, put in at source. And uh, the source of manufacturing is often China or Asia. So there's a little bit of a logistics thing where, you know, they have to buy the poly bags. and, And, you know, we do have warehousing and distribution in Asia, so they go from there collect to their factories and things. Um, but it's neat. It's neat to see that journey that people go on with us where they'll start with one product and then gradually, you know, move to more and more um, mm. and eventually manage to phase out traditional plastic altogether.
0: Yeah, that's great. And it fits with their brand, presumably, because they will be putting a lot of effort into their supply chain. But then this delivery mechanism has kind of been ignored for so long, hasn't it? If, you know, you, you make this beautiful thing and it gets delivered in some crappy plastic bag. And that's that's the bit you're solving, isn't yeah. it, for, from yeah. a marketing point of view? Yeah.
1: And it's it's I think, traditionally been a huge a point of frustration, you know, with all these beautiful brands who are putting so much effort into sourcing ethically and sustainably and responsibly and to then have to put your beautiful product into, you know, plastic bag, single-use plastic bag um, just didn't fit at all. But there, there really wasn't any alternative or sort mm-hmm. of purpose alternative anyway, yeah.
0: Have you always been a greenie or is this kind of a, a new discovery for you?
1: No, I don't know when it really started, but I've always been a greenie. I and mean, when I started Dumbo Feather, it's interesting to look back now at those decisions I made. But that was 15 years ago, and I decided to make a magazine of 100% recycled paper using soy-based inks. Uh, It was more like a book than a magazine. I didn't want it to, you know, just be thrown out in the trash after a week. I wanted it to live on people's bookshelves forever. I collected back all unsold copies and then sold them as back issues, um, which is very... Against the traditional magazine model, traditional magazine model, you print 300 percent more than you actually need and pop most of them because um, okay. you just saturate news engines with them. So okay. I, it was almost it was a, it was a very circular model without even knowing what that meant at the time. Um, but I've just always been conscious of my footprint in the world. Um, I've always hated waste. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a hoarder. Uh, Much to my husband's dismay, you know, I can always throw something away and be, oh, sure, I'll find a use for that someday. Um, Terrible at that. Uh, And it's, yes, it's it's almost just something that's ingrained. Um, Mm. I do remember when I was 17, I was lucky enough to go to Nepal uh, on a trip and we landed in Kathmandu at the time of the rubbish strike. And... Over the course of the time that we were in Kathmandu, the rubbish just piled up on the streets and, you know, there was just more and more and more of it. And it was the first time, you know, coming from a Western background, I'd ever been exposed to waste and the extraordinary amounts of waste that people create. There's probably way less in Kathmandu than we would, you know, if the equivalent thing had happened. And suddenly it was just in my face. It was just this, wow, we throw out all this Ship. And it just goes somewhere and we don't even think about where it goes or what happens mm. to it. Mm. Um, so I think that was that was quite a – if I had to point to one turning point in my life, I think that would probably be it.
0: Where do you think the future is for I – When mean, we've talked about the future for the business, but, um, it, you know, the waste problem has not gone away, has it? You know, the, the right. scale of waste has just – accelerated, even in our mm. lifetime, you see what's happening in our oceans and so on. You, you seem like a hopeful person. What gives you hope to continue, Kate?
1: That does give me hope. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're part of a lot of uh, organisations from the Australasian, Australian Packaging Covenant to the New Zealand Packaging Forum, the Alan MacArthur New Plastics Economy um, mm-hmm. Pact. And so, you know, we really do see the commitment that a lot of these large multinationals, who really do contribute to most of our waste, making commitments to produce their packaging more sustainably. Uh, and that's that's exciting. That said, sometimes it's also pretty dispiriting. Um, there, you know, there's an addiction to plastic. There, I have, I don't think I'm exaggerating by calling it that. Um, you know, there's just this reliance uh, and a single-use plastic. So there's a there's a real reluctance to to shift towards reuse models, which is where I really think we have to to get to um, if we're going to reduce waste on any significant level. Um, you know, I think people and the companies that feed us uh, are addicted to the convenience of being able to just go somewhere. And And grab a packet and you know we assume that every cracker in the packet will be intact and because of that expectation Mm -hmm. it has to come in a you know a a little tray that's going to keep every cracker from being smashed and there's something else on top of it and you know I I think if we're really going to reduce waste uh, consumers have to reduce their expectations and we have to wean ourselves off this kind of yeah, convenience, perfection-based um, lifestyle.
0: Mm, yeah, interesting. And the um, the summer, what does the summer hold for you? Are you going to take some time off or is it um, pedal to the metal? You, you sound busy. <laughs> oh, no, we love
1: to. Um, oh, we, we, we were lucky enough to um, be part of a group called She EO and as part of that we've had a business mentor for over 12 months now and MJ, the mentor, has said that we... You know, she's sort of, you know, you must have 10 days of no work. That's, that's the minimum you need to actually replenish and, and rejuvenate. So we're going to try and do that. Um, it'll be over Christmas. And, you know, we do have a small team, but we've got enough of a team now that we can do that, um, you know, between us, between us all. We can, we can stagger that time off. Yeah. Um, you know, my phone also will still be
0: pinging. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the challenge of being an export company. Is that <clears throat> they keep working while we're having our summer oh, they off? Do. They
1: do. Yeah. You know, it's it's a really short break in the northern hemisphere. So, mm.
0: Um, mm. yeah, interesting. Hey, Kate, thanks so much for your time. I know you've got a, a busy week ahead, and I appreciate you um, dropping That's in. Fine. My apologies for
1: that background noise. I don't know if something started up outside, um, but our- I hope everyone could. Could
0: bear with you. Sound it sounds so great. If we want to find you, uh, how do we track down uh, uh packaging.com? Packaging. Yeah, like um,
1: I'm on LinkedIn if anyone wants to find me there. Uh, but yeah, no,
0: we're around. Yeah, and is it too late to um, get those uh Christmas packages wrapped up and in the post? I think t- today, the 30th of November, is the deadline, isn't it, to get things mailed?
1: Oh, what is it? <laughs> oh, I haven't done any of my shopping yet. Oh. oh. <laughs>
0: well, Merry Christmas, and I'm um, sorry to yeah, bring that bad news to you. Thanks so much. Kate, oh, please, uh, all right.
1: Pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent, at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vheringer. that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, in e No